Okay, everybody, we've got an amazing guest in the second half of today's show. It is Gabriel Weinberg. He has joined us again 10 years after his first appearance on This Week in Startups. That's right, we're in year 11. He is running the search engine DuckDuckGo and the browser, and he cares about user privacy more than almost anybody in our industry. And he has figured out uh, how to build a competitive search engine to Google, a competitive browser to Chrome, and how to protect consumers' privacy. And I talked to him about partnering with Apple and if he would consider selling to Apple and why Apple hasn't bought his search engine and kicked Google out. But first, we're going to talk about the absolutely insane presentation that Mark Zuckerberg did uh, rebranding Facebook into Meta and how they want to take over the next platform for humanity, which most people believe will be AR and VR, augmented reality, virtual reality, and the metaverse. And I have some strong feelings on it, as you might suspect. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. Post your first job for free at linkedin.com slash twist. Marketer Hire. Need expert marketing help fast? Hire vetted marketing specialists this week from the company already used by Netflix, Allbirds, and more. Get $500 off your first hire at marketerhire.com slash twist and use the code twist. And Stripe. Join the thousands of successful founders who choose Stripe as their payments platform. Whether you're an online or in-person retailer, software platform, marketplace, or subscriptions business, visit stripe.com to learn more about how Stripe can support your business today. Okay, Facebook announced today at their Connect conference, that's the name of their conference, that they're changing their name to Meta and that they are going all in on AR and VR, aka the Metaverse. Here is 48 seconds with Mark Zuckerberg announcing the change. I'll talk to you on the other side. I believe the metaverse is the next chapter for the internet. And it's the next chapter for our company too. Facebook is one of the most used products in the history of the world. It is an iconic social media brand, but increasingly it just doesn't encompass everything that we do. We just announced that we are making a fundamental change to our company. We're now looking at and reporting on our business as two different segments, one for our family of apps and one for our work on future platforms. And as part of this, it is time for us to adopt a new company brand to encompass everything that we do. To reflect who we are and what we hope to build, I am proud to announce that starting today, our company is now Meta. It's almost like an SNL skit. I mean, he's so terrible <laughs> on camera. I will say he's getting 10% better each time, but he's just so awkward on camera uh, that him doing these discussions really is just, he's no Steve Jobs. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> uh, but sure, he can call the company meta. What's really important here is that um, the company is all in, and we talked about this in previous episodes of This Week in Source. The company is all in on virtual reality and augmented reality and today you really got to see that i think zuckerberg shares uh, my philosophy and i think tim cooks that virtual reality is a nice waypoint uh, a great stepping stone but really the future is going to be ar vr is oppressive you know these things over your face are heavy not being able to see the real world sucks it's a very niche product all due respect 
to the Oculus team and people who are into VR. I believe that VR is appealing to no more than 10% of consumers, and I think AR will be appealing to 90% of consumers or more. And the overlap will be, you know, there's 10% of people who just don't like either uh, mitigating their world. But AR is clearly the big win. If you want to know why, with AR, you see the real world and virtual objects are projected into it. In other words, you can turn it on and off and you're going to be very wearing very light spectacles uh, like the ones that Snapchat came out with or the sort of 0.01 uh, version of AR glasses that Zuckerberg came out with recently with Ray-Ban, which are just a direct knockoff of what Evan Spiegel did five years ago. Another great job of Zuckerberg stealing other people's ideas. Those glasses that just simply record, that's a just a small milestone on the way there. It's obviously going to take the miniaturization of your smartphone into your glasses. Now, hold your smartphone in your hand, feel the weight of it, hold the sunglasses in your hand. Now, imagine adding even more than your smartphone in terms of batteries uh, or maybe not batteries, but uh, other processing chips and lenses to project. There may be some things you strip out, of course, maybe a little bit of the battery and a lot of the screen. Point is, there's a long way to go. Probably five years of miniaturization, perhaps 10, for you to have sunglasses that would be chunky that can do AR properly. If you want to understand where we are on this timeline, simply look at uh, Microsoft's HoloLens. They're big, they're clunky, and they feel more like a VR headset. And they have to be because there's a lot of compute power in there for them to work and not give you motion sickness. You need to have very high resolution screens, plus you need a massive processor and a lot of bandwidth to make this stuff work without there being jumpiness. When there's jumpiness, what happens? You hurl, you puke, you vomit, you get motion sickness, and then you take the thing off and you throw it against the wall and say, this is stupid. That's the main issue with all these products is the size of the headset and the compute that's uh, necessary. As compute costs go down and get miniaturized in the process and become lighter, then the headsets get lighter, and then this issue uh, goes away. So if you want to lower people's motion sickness and make it feel uh, higher fidelity, you just put more processing power in. What happens when you put more processing power in? You need more energy. What happens when you need more energy? More batteries. Or you need to tether it to something. And when you tether these things, it sucks. Like the early Oculus were amazingly inspiring, but people were tripping over their computers and not on the cables. So uh, just aesthetically looking at this conference, I would say this is Zuck's best performance. Uh, and it's also the most scary. In no way is it in society's best interest to let Zuck own the metaverse or to make him a player in it. In fact, I think anybody who is in this space needs to fight Zuckerberg and Facebook from winning the metaverse. And you can see already he's co-opting it. He's using the term meta. He's stealing the term from the open source community and from science fiction before that and trying to make it his own. And this entire conference was a list of other people's innovations and taken being credit for those by the Facebook team. Truly disgusting and absolutely abhorrent, but that's what Zuck has always been. He's a, um, an absolute expert in stealing other people's ideas and then scaling them. And when you don't have to come up with the original ideas, if all you do is steal them, well, then you get to spend all your time executing and on growth. It's one of the great secrets of Zuckerberg's success. Don't come up with original ideals ideas let other people do that hard work in the laboratory and do that creativity just steal them the second they're ready to go into the wider uh populace and just spend your time on growth it is essential for humanity 
and for our industry to stop Zuck and to boycott Meta. We'll get into that some more. The performance was Zuck's best. I give him credit for that. The production value was their best. He's not charismatic. He's stiff. But he kind of added a bunch of jokes and corny jokes at that to kind of make fun of himself uh, in relation to he's kind of self-aware that he's terrible on camera and he wears too much sunscreen. So here are two of the cornier jokes in this 12-second clip. Stick with us. I'll be there on the other side. Boz, that you? Of course it's me. You know I had to be the robot, man. I thought I was supposed to be the robot. <laughs> you want to go again? Maybe later. I'm going to need a lot more sunscreen, though. Okay, so Zuck, know- Zuck knows he's a meme. He knows when he had all that sunscreen on, people were like, ridiculous. He knows he's a robot or he comes across as robotic. So the self-deprecating thing is, you know, it's great. Uh, credit to him for doing that. There was a little Easter egg barbecue sauce on there. So somebody internally in comms is doing a fantastic job of trying to humanize him. Somebody has the absolutely (laughs) a thankless job of trying to make him a better presenter. And congratulations, he has reached the level of bad. He was horrible. He was it was uncomfortable. It was difficult to watch him. And now Zuckerberg is just bad at presenting. I think he might actually in another 10 years just be absolutely okay and passable as a presenter. I don't mean to be cruel, but since he's making fun of himself, um, I thought it was a good line. I thought I was supposed to be the robot. (laughs) Good. Well played. Before we get into the ad, I just want you to go to linkedin.com slash twist right now, linkedin.com slash twist and post your first job for free. What a deal. Incredibly supportive uh, of you, LinkedIn, to give that free job to our listeners. And you know, small business owners are busier than ever. The time spent searching for and interviewing wrong candidates, let's face it, bad candidates, takes away from growing your business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster. And they're giving you your first job for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people, then quickly filter and prioritize who you want to interview and eventually hire. We love LinkedIn jobs at launch and inside. And in 2021, we've hired a third producer, a curriculum designer, and a few more researchers. And we're doing all that hiring on LinkedIn. We love it. And we're still hiring. So here is your call to action one more time. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the right candidates worth interviewing faster. Every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. So post your job for free, free F-R-E-E at linkedin.com slash twist that's right linkedin.com slash twist to post your first job for free terms and conditions do apply because we're giving you something for free all right let's get back to this amazing episode so they talked about their vr battle royale shooter population one uh which is a Fortnite ripoff this is what zuck does he steals everybody else's ideas and he even mentions uh epic games right before it here's a 20 second clip And major platforms like Epic are working to build out the metaverse, starting with gaming. Have you played Population One? I mean, yeah, I love the game so much. For those who haven't, Population One is a thrilling battle royale that is only possible in VR. Since its launch at Kinect last year, it has become one of the highest earning games on Quest and the biggest multiplayer FPS on the platform. You can have up to 24 people in at once for a match. Okay, so here he is stealing uh, Fortnite. Uh, this is one of the many moments in which he will steal other people's ideas and kind of take credit for them. 
Uh, and then he also talked about, hey, he wants to bring one of the greatest games ever, Grand Theft Auto, or he is bringing Grand Theft Auto there. Uh, so you'll be able to mass murder civilians in the most immersive way possible. Wow, sounds like a great version of society. 31 seconds, see you on the side. There's one project that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, this is one of the all-time greats, and we've been working for years to bring it to Quest. I'm excited to announce that the Rockstar Games classic Grand Theft Auto San Andreas is in development for Quest 2. This new version of what I think is one of the greatest games ever made will offer players an entirely new way to experience this iconic open world in virtual reality. That's it, Mark. I'm moving to the metaverse. All right, thanks, Deb. This is going to be amazing. Oh my god, Dev, this is going to be amazing. You're going to be able to go into Grand Theft Auto and run people over and beat up mailmans. And I mean, somebody should supercut this. If you're a fan of the show, supercut absolutely Zuckerberg's excitement with this, with the horrible, disgusting, sociopathic stuff that you actually do in Grand Theft Auto. Does Zuckerberg realize that he is just telling everybody in the middle of a scandal of their influence over young people and what? terrible stewards of society they are that they now want to take our children and everybody else and throw them into the dystopian world of crime and violence that is grand theft auto really is anybody thinking in facebook's communication group i mean you guys are so incompetent or you're trolling us if it's the latter kudos to you because who reviewed the deck and said i have a great idea while we're being investigated for uh, young women having body issues and getting anorexia and bulimia and depression and anxiety from Instagram, I have a great idea to christen our new product. Let's get young men to be influenced by living in a virtual world version of Grand Theft Auto where you murder and beat people and run them over with stolen cars. Are you people insane? The answer is they're not insane. They are capitalists, and they are just absolutely interested in the stock price going up and to the right. They do not care about society. They are liars. They care about making money. And let's face it, Grand Theft Auto, where you get to be in an immersive world and beat people up and murder them and drive over them, is going to be the dystopian, insane, running man future that will print money. That's why they're doing it. And somebody over there in comms needs to be fired for not sitting sucked down and saying, are you f***ing crazy? You literally want to tell people when we're launching this new vision that Grand Theft Auto is a key piece of it and you think this is the best idea? Would Tim Cook do this? Would Jeff Bezos do this? Would Steve Jobs do this? No! They would literally say, we're trying to make people think this is good for society. Grand Theft Auto is a parent's nightmare. Why on earth would we feature that? And you notice they didn't show any highlights from GTA because it would have been somebody like literally beating up a postman or running over, you know, uh, a, a baby carriage. Oh my lord! It's, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Zuck also talked about open standards in the metaverse, which is even more funny to me because he has been on a jihad for decades to reverse all open standards and to steal and close off and destroy open source and open standards by forcing people 
who use his login and by not supporting open standards. Here's 51 seconds of an absolutely delusional and unself-aware, clueless Zuckerberg explaining open standards to us, the industry that was built on open standards, who absolutely hates and despises what Zuckerberg has done to open standards. Play the 51 seconds. Teleporting around the metaverse is going to be like clicking a link on the internet. It's an open standard. In order to unlock the potential of the metaverse, there needs to be interoperability. And that goes beyond just taking your avatar and digital items across different apps and experiences, which we are already building an API to support. You want to know that when you buy something or create something, that your items will be useful in a lot of contexts and you're not going to be locked into one world or platform. You want to know that you own your items, not a platform. The metaverse isn't something we're building so much as it's something we're building for. Across the industry, we need to bring that same imagination and commitment to building for interoperability, openness, safety, and privacy as we do for all the other product aspects of the metaverse. These have to be fundamental building blocks. Oh my god, it's so ridiculous. This is like the guy like who just robbed your house telling you, you don't need to lock your door. Are you people crazy? <laughs> you literally stole everybody's data. You then let Cambridge Analytica and everybody else on the inside use that data. You pulled the rug out from under people who bought pages and spent money building their follower count, and then you deprecated their follower count. You made people use your own cryptocurrencies. You de deprecate you, you know, your own e-coins back in the day, mana in games. And then you had an app developer program, which you shut off and screwed all these app developers. Do you think we don't remember what you did to app developers for the first five years with the Facebook platform? Can somebody please pull up the videos of Zuckerberg saying this exact thing and then pull up the headlines after that point and do a supercut of all the developers he destroyed, Zynga and everybody else who he put the screws to and screwed? If you partner with Zuckerberg, you will get screwed. Do not believe him. And if he was absolutely um committed to this why isn't he doing it in instagram and facebook and whatsapp right now why are those not open source why is your data not portable why are the login systems not standard he's a liar basically he's a liar and he is now trying to convince us that this time it will be different when somebody shows you who they are believe them that it's that simple he has screwed over every partner he has worked with and even the people he bought companies from and he made billionaires hate him. Instagram founders, WhatsApp founders, the list goes on and on. They all despise Zuckerberg. Can you imagine making people billionaires and making them tens of billions of dollars and they still hate you? There's a reason people don't trust Zuckerberg. It's because he has not earned trust. And then he's here telling us that this time it's going to be different. And this time the metaverse is going to be open. Sorry. You can say you had some big giant come to Jesus moment about open standards. And now he's trying to flip the script and kind of say Apple is the closed system. This is all like a high level leveling game of poker that Zuckerberg's just not good at. We all see what you're doing, Zuckerberg. You're trying to put these digs into Apple for charging a whole bunch because they blocked you from tracking users and you can't make as much money with app installs. We see it from a mile away. Um, if the metaverse is going to be the next platform, it's essential that Facebook not control it. If you're a developer, you should not support this. If you're a user, you should not support this. If you're an entrepreneur, you should not work for his platform. Devs should only support open standards in this regard. And I think this is the area where cryptocurrency, distributed, 
systems and DAOs and other non-controlled open source communities with financial incentives built into them can really shine. If this is in fact the future, which is a big question, we can't let Zuck win. We need to hashtag boycott meta at all costs. And if you're a developer, why would you work to make Zuckerberg richer when you can work on the open source projects, own the cryptocurrencies, own the real estate, own the NFTs, if you do believe this is going to happen, and that's not guaranteed? Why would you go work and be a peasant to Zuckerberg's $50 billion when you could go make $10 million being an open source developer and just picking which currencies and, and real estate you want to buy in the metaverse? It's a terrible decision for any developer to go to work for Zuckerberg as opposed to an open metaverse project. Don't you wish you could hire a ringer to help scale out your marketing team? I know you do. Well, with Marketer Hire, you can, and you can do it right now. Marketer Hire gives you access to expert freelancers on demand with no long-term contracts and no risk. You can hire experienced specialists across the most valuable marketing disciplines from paid social and search to growth, SEO content, and even get a fractional CMO. If you don't need a full-time one, maybe a fractional one would work great for you. Again, no long-term contracts. You can cancel at any time. And if it's your first time working with freelance talent, you'll start with a no-risk trial. Only hire what you need and stay on budget with hourly, part-time, full-time arrangements. Every freelancer on Marketer Hire goes through a rigorous vetting process with industry experts. Freelancers from Marketer Hire have been hired at over 1,500 companies, including top brands like Netflix, Allbirds, and Lambda School. You're going to get $500 off your first hire at marketerhire.com slash twist. Again, marketer, M-A-R-K-E-T-E-R-H-I-R-E.com slash twist, marketerhire.com slash twist. Get that 500 right now, and you'll also get a free consultation on who to hire based on your needs and your goals. Again, 500 right now, marketerhire.com slash twist. And they have the audacity to put Facebook's global affairs at Nick Clegg in these uh, discussions and him coming on and telling us that this time it's going to be different after what they're going with the Facebook papers and how poorly they've acted and how many fines they've gotten just shows that Nick Clegg has no soul and is just there's a giant money grab for him. He is just making tens of millions of dollars in all of this, I'm sure I'm guessing but I would be surprised if he makes less than 25 to $50 million uh, working, which is a lot for a PR communications person really like a PR communications person, no offense, making 25 or 50 million bucks. I'm going to guess that's the minimum he makes in a decade or two there. He sold his soul to then try to get Zuckerberg polished up. So we fall for it again. Do not fall for it. It's the key. The key here is developers do not work at meta and do not go to work for this dystopian vision where this maniac gets to control the future. If we in fact believe this is the future. So here's a 65 second clip of Zuckerberg realizing that he is going to get sued all over again and nobody trusts him. So he's trying to do this preemptive thing. Like, I'm sorry, this time will be different. This is like listening to like BP oil after they just poured oil all over through the Gulf and that like, we should let them drill oil again. <laughs> no, here's 65 seconds. I'll see you on the other side. Privacy and safety need to be built into the metaverse from day one. You'll get to decide when you want to be with other people, when you want to block someone from appearing in your space, or when you want to take a break and teleport to a private bubble to be alone. With all big technological advances, there are inevitably going to be in all sorts of challenges and uncertainties. And I know you've talked about this a bit already, 
But people want to know how we're going to do all this in a responsible way, and especially that we play our part in helping to keep people safe and protect their privacy online. Yeah, that's right. This is incredibly important. The way I look at it is that in the past, the speed that new technologies emerged sometimes left policymakers and regulators playing catch up. So on the one hand, companies get accused of charging ahead too quickly, and on the other, tech people feel that progress can't afford to wait for the slower pace of of regulation. And I really think that it doesn't have to be the case this time round. Because we have years until the metaverse we envision is fully realized. So this is the start of the journey, not the end. I mean, are these people, do they think we're stupid? <laughs> you literally have them saying that we care about privacy and they've done nothing to protect people's privacy over the last couple of decades. And here they are telling us this time it will be different. This is like watching a serial killer and their defense attorney telling us like, let this guy out of jail. He won't murder and eat another three people. No, he is. It, whatever happened before with the serial killing, not not relevant. He's not a serial killer anymore. I'm telling you, this time, we're going to take care of your privacy. You're going to be in control this time. Really? Privacy? You're going to take care of our privacy? I, you can have the most refined English accent, Clegg, but you are so loathsome and horrible for selling your soul so that this person can acquire more power over the next giant platform of computing. We are not falling for it. If you're a developer, do not sell your company to Zuckerberg. Oculus never should have sold to them. That gave them a big head start. And nobody should join this, use it, and build for it. And really, it's up to the developers to pick other platforms to develop for and to build this as open source. So that the metaverse, if it does happen, looks more like the open web and the internet. Do we want the open web and internet, with which Facebook tried to compromise and build wall gardens? Do we want to fight that? when we see him doing it again, or do we want to let him run him up? That is the key issue here. I implore you developers, do not build or participate or go to work for Meta, Facebook, whatever they want to call it. Uh, they're working on some new hardware. They have a luxury AR headset called a uh, Cambria. This is when you know they're serious when they're putting $10 billion into this. They're spending Apple and Microsoft hardware level dollars on this. They are going for it which means the open source community and the other platforms have to go for it as well. We cannot let them win this. Uh, check out this 50 second clip on their new headset. Cambria will be a completely new advanced and high-end product and it'll be at the higher end of the price spectrum too. Your avatar will be able to make natural eye contact and reflect your facial expressions in real time. What about unlocking more mixed reality experiences? I mean, imagine working at your virtual desk with multiple screens while seeing your real desk so clearly that you can pick up a pen and write notes without taking your headset off. Or, you know, you're doing a workout with a virtual instructor in your living room. We'll be taking this to the next level with high resolution, colored, mixed reality pass-through. We essentially combine an array of sensors with reconstruction algorithms to represent your physical world in the headset with a sense of depth and perspective. Now, we're still a ways away from exactly matching what our eyes see in the physical world. So wait, great. New headsets, mixed reality. You get the idea that this is, uh, you know, where they're going is exactly what Microsoft showed, I think, I don't know, six, seven years ago with HoloLens. Like they're literally just stealing the HoloLens presentation of multiple desktops, et cetera. Uh, he 
also talked about this project Nazara, which is Facebook's version of AR glasses, 42 second clips here on the other side. I want to show you an experience that we've been working on for Project Nazare, which is the codename for our first full augmented reality glasses. Here, you'll see you're chatting with friends on WhatsApp and planning a game night. You can select a game, and then, as you walk over to your kitchen, you can easily just put your game onto the table and you're off. And that's the kind of experience that augmented reality will unlock. There's a lot of technical work to get this form factor and experience right. We have to fit hologram displays, projectors, batteries, radios, custom silicon chips, cameras, speakers, sensors to map the world around you, and more into glasses that are about five millimeters thick. So we still have a ways to go with Nazare, but we are making good progress. Yeah, I mean, the amount of hand movement in that clip is, a, is, a, is a, just a huge tell that he wants to control us. I mean, that is some serious stage hypnotist stuff. I don't know what Nazare uh, stands for. Somebody look it up for me. Uh, but yeah, this is spectacles. This is what Apple is actually working on. Apple is going to skip VR and go right to this. That's why you see AR kit and all their AR games. They believe AR is the winner. So they're going straight to AR. They're not going to stop. Um, I guess Nazare is Portuguese for Nazareth, which would be where Jesus was born. Is that, <laughs> do I have my religion correct? So are they saying that they are going to birth, they're going to be the place where Jesus is born? Is, is that what we're going for here? Is that, uh, is that Zuck's, uh, <laughs> project naming strategy? Uh, so Apple will get there first. I hope we can only hope that uh, they get there. And that's where this is going to get very difficult. What the big tech companies have learned is, own the hardware and own the whole experience. So if you're um, when Amazon was making the bookstore, they didn't just sell digital books, they wanted to have the Kindle, Apple makes the phone and the app store. Uh, Google realized they needed to make uh, products like phones. And then you had Microsoft start to make surface and then they did Xbox. You know, it, it's not enough in today's world to not control the whole stack. It doesn't work as well. So when you see somebody uh, trying to build the whole stack, that means open source is going to have a problem. What we really need is an open source standard for building AR glasses and VR glasses. And that would be an open source hardware project where if anybody could build these things to an open source operating system, that would be a huge win. If the open source development community can work on that, I would actually invest in a company that was working on the open source hardware spec and the operating system for these. I wonder if that exists already for AR or VR. If it does, and those standards exist, I would love to hear about it. And if somebody wants to create the WordPress.com of the WordPress.org, you know, we have an open source project, but a commercial project sitting next to it uh, to help uh, expedite it. I'm into that. But I hope that it happens as a crypto project where people just fund it with coins and you don't need venture capitalists and investors like me. Uh, so they're going to also, they also mentioned they're going to uh, have a, a workaround between business accounts and AR accounts because they learn from their. Uh, stealing Slack, another theft by Zuckerberg. When they stole Slack, they also uh, created like a Facebook for business or something, but you had to use your same handle, which Zuckerberg has this very weird dystopian view that there's no difference between your private life and your work life, because he has no life. Uh, <laughs> the rest of us might want to separate those things out a bit. Just to um, give some quick reactions, Toby from Shopify thought it was hugely inspiring. I'll take the opposite side of that. Seriously, this is one of the most profound and approachable articulations of how the metaverse might possibly come together. You have to watch it. Yes, I do think it's convincing. I think he took together everybody else's innovations and made a just spectacular presentation, Toby. But he's a thief who stole all of this, and he's the last person I think you would agree that we want in charge of this. And you have to wonder here, uh, like, 
why don't they have Clegg and like Zuck in GTA playing Grand Theft Auto and they could be like, hey, Clegg, hand me that AK-47. Let me, what, can you kill that family over there? Great. Yeah. Can you steal that Cadillac and let me drive over that, you know, bunch of school kids? Like, just own it, guys. If you're going to go there, you should totally do it. Uh, what we'll watch today feels like a Black Mirror episode to me. Don't be fooled by the glossiness of it. Don't be fooled by Zuckerberg's uh, vision that he stole and, you know, basically stole from dozens of people and is now taking credit for. And, you know, you judge people by what they've done. And based on what he's done, nobody should trust him. He should have no partners involved in this. And if you are part of creating the future, just ask yourself, do you want to give him more power over society? Or do you want society to have more power over people like him? Just ask yourself that if you're a developer, if you're an entrepreneur. And it's a, it's a really serious question I'm asking. Would you like to take your work product? Would you like to take your creativity and have it create more power for Facebook and specifically Zuckerberg? Or would you like to take your creativity, your skills, and would you like to see that power be put in the hands of individuals and the open source community and if, you know which, which is a brighter future for humanity just please take a moment and think about that if you're a developer if you get that offer from facebook and they offer you the extra 50 100 200,000 in rsus just stop for a second and think about playing the long game because every line of code you write for zuckerberg every day you give him more power and every day you participate in his operating system and his platforms is more power accruing to him and more and less power accruing to the people. And then you, as a creator, as an entrepreneur, to make the quick buck, are putting him in charge of the future of the internet. How has he done so far as a steward of power? Objectively, how has he done? Has he been a net positive for society? I think we can all agree that this is a company that has not been a net positive for society and the way they operate is abhorrent and that's why they've received the largest fines. I'm not saying startups have to be perfect, but they are so far from perfect and they have done such a poor job that they should not be given one more ounce of, of power or control over the future. And it really comes down to every line of code and every startup that's created. And every startup and line of code that goes towards the open source community and that goes towards a decentralized version of the metaverse is going to be better for society than that person having any more control than he already has. And speaking of open source and a better future, here is my uh, interview with Gabriel Weinberg of DuckDuckGo, which actually cares about your privacy. If you're a startup founder, you know that your early decisions can be the difference between success and failure. One decision that thousands of successful founders have made is choosing Stripe as their payments platform. We all know Stripe. CEO Patrick Carlson was on episode 723 back in April of 2017. And over the past decade, Stripe has made processing payments simple and borderless. They've enabled businesses like Shopify, Postmates, and Kickstarters to grow revenue and expand to new markets quickly and easily. By using Stripe, Kickstarter can now accept payments from 195 countries. I didn't even know there were 195 countries. And Postmates scaled revenue to over $70 million 
after increasing payment authorization rates. Stripe has engineered the world's most powerful and easy to use APIs so you can get up and running in minutes, not days or weeks. And you can free up employees to focus on other parts of your business. You need that time, right? You're resource constrained as a startup. If you're looking for a no-code solution, Stripe recently launched Payment Links, which generates links that you can share with customers to get paid fast, and no coding is required. So visit Stripe.com to learn more about how Stripe can support your business. Whether you're an online or in-person retailer, a SaaS platform, or a marketplace, head to Stripe.com and get started today. All right, the craziest thing you could do in the last decade or so would be to create a search engine and take on Google. How do I know this? I tried with Mahalo. It didn't work out. My idea was to do a human-powered search and kind of combine Wikipedia uh, with a search engine. It did well for a while, but, uh, you know, it was just too tough. Well, somebody who apparently has figured it out uh, is Gabriel Weinberg. He is the CEO and founder of DuckDuckGo. You can go to DuckDuckGo.com if you haven't heard of it and you haven't been around for the last, I don't know, 12, 13 years. He was last on This Week in Startups, I kid you not, in August of 2010, in episode number 72. So he's one of the founders who was in the first 100 episodes. Here we are, 1,200 episodes into the show. And I thought, what a great time to figure out what went so right with DuckDuckGo. Welcome back to the program. Over a decade later, Gabriel. Great to be back. Uh, you were just a, a young pup at that time. How old were you? How old are you now? And how old were you 11 years ago? Um, I'm getting old enough where it's hard to remember my age. I mm. am 41. Okay. Yeah. So you were so 30 I, years old when you were last on the program. <laughs> I was 39, I guess. Um, t- tell everybody um, what has gone well for DuckDuckGo and uh, how is the business doing in terms of what percentage of search do you have here in the United States? How many people use it every day or month? Uh, what's the revenue like? How many employees? Uh, wh- where has the business uh, gone to in the, the yeah. last 11 years? Yeah, give us the update. Okay, decade-long update um, in a few words. So we are beyond search now. We, you know, we started off as private search, but um, our vision is wider it's uh, really to be the easy button for privacy online. So our current DuckDuckGo product app and extension is the search engine plus all the features you need to have private browsing. So tracker blocker, encryption, the mobile app is a full browser. And on desktop, you can get it as your browser extension in your favorite browsers. Um, and together, it adds up to, you know, ads not following you around the internet, uh, private search, um, you know, filter bubble going away, uh, all the benefits you get for privacy. So that's product-wise kind of come a long way there. Um, we've been growing pretty much exponentially since we talked about 50, 60% a year. Um, and that, you know, we don't track our users. So we don't have like, here's our MAUs. But what we do nowadays is do uh, national surveys, understanding mm-hmm. how many people are using DuckTuckGo every month. So you literally don't have on your servers the number of searches that come in or the number we of users, number of or searches. you just don't disclose it? We don't have users, so we don't have any search histories on DuckDuckGo. Um, and so when we survey the U.S., we find um, about 10% of the population uses DuckDuckGo in some way during, during the month. Um, they're not all full-time users, and so when you add up or, or, or they're often full time on one like browser, like mobile or desktop. Mm. And so when you add up actual search percentages, 
we're between two and three percent right now of the full kind of search market by uh, by volume. How do you make money? We make money hasn't changed in ten years. Uh, contextual ads, so private search ads. So on Google and the ads that follow you around the internet, those are behavioral ads. They're about you as a person. You know, like they're you search for furniture, furniture follows you around or whatever based on your interests and demographics and what they think they know about you. On DuckDuckGo, you type in furniture, you just get furniture ad based on that one search. Keyword. Yeah. Just the just that search results page. Uh, there's no search history. Um, and that's really it. Um, you know, all of our, our money really comes from contextual advertising. And so if a criminal uh, organization or let's say just a criminal was typing in, you know, how to do something horrible in the world and the FBI came to you or uh, and said, hey, give us your search logs, give us the IP addresses. We know that this person uses DuckDuckGo and they typed in how to build a bomb and they blew up the Oklahoma City building. You don't actually have that data. You don't store that data. You couldn't help the FBI out in that classic 24 television show instance, correct? Yeah. So just take a step back. We think privacy is just for mainstream people wanting to not be manipulated online. So, you know, hundred we have on the order of maybe 100 million people across the world using it. So it's definitely for anyone and everyone. Um, that said, yes, we've never received any formal warrant of any kind uh, for search histories because we don't we don't have any search histories. Got so it. if anyone kind of reached out to us and said, hey, could you help us here? We're, we just reply, like, we don't have any IP addresses with searches or anything like that. So there's no way we can really help you. And that sets people away. And that was a key innovation. I remember when we first talked of how you architected the system. You don't know my IP address. If I type in an adult search, if I type in, I have cancer, uh, if I type in, I have depression. There's no way for you to know that this person, Jane Doe, John Doe, has depression or was, you know, considering suicide, whatever it is. Those IP addresses are not there. The searches are not saved. Um, so then I guess that next uh, begs the question, how do you make the search results better? Because Google's claim has always been, hey, we, we get that data and we can tailor your searches. And to a certain extent, that is true. When I do a search on uh, Google, they know that I've searched for certain things before they're going to surface them uh, higher, they know that whatever, if I'm into poker, and I type in a certain poker term, maybe they'll customize that to me, right? Uh, they obviously know my location, which I think, do you know people's location as well? Because that's an important vector. Yeah, so um, first of all, like I, we've come a long way in search and our search is used by mainstream people as all the results you need, we think the quality is is on par. Um, and partly that's because most of what people think they need from personalization is really just localization. Like you said mm. at the end, just, just like local results, local weather, local restaurants, that kind of stuff. We can do that in the same exact way. Like your location gets sent across automatically when you use the internet and we just don't save any history of that or really save location at all. Um, but we can use it in that one search to give you the information you need. Mm. In terms of good results, the other thing that's changed in the last 10 years in terms of search is you know, search is a lot more than links nowadays. It's got 20 different modules on it. Yes. And that was my original modules, idea with Mahalo yeah, was exactly. to make comprehensive <laughs> search. Yeah. I got there, just, just couldn't figure out the model. And each of those, each of those modules now are big, big companies have vertical, great mm. data sources there. Um, you know, like say TripAdvisor and local and Yelp, that kind of thing. And so our, our, we work with those companies 
And we think the aggregation of those can actually be better than what Google mm. has. Whereas Google, you know, basically decided to dominate and use their own stuff in every category. So they went yeah. into Google Places instead of Yelp. So if I type in ramen near me, I will see uh, results that come. Um, I'll see Apple Maps uh, is your default maps partner, I guess. And then uh, I will see a bunch of places that are provided for me by Yelp, I'm assuming, TripAdvisor. Some, it looks like you use TripAdvisor as your default. Yeah, what, what's but the interesting about search is because it's, uh, as you know, it's all sorts of different things. We've had to create a lot of search technology. So where we can get it with the best partner, we will. But like for something like local, we've had to do our own crawling. Use yeah, Apple, use TripAdvisor, use different things in different countries. You know, how did you make the different? How did you make together. the decision to use TripAdvisor, not Yelp, uh, or make that a setting I can make? How did you come to that decision? Is that just a partnership decision, uh, or does Yelp not agree with your privacy concerns, or do they want money? How do you come to that? Is it just a, a business decision? It, yeah, in each case, it, it can be all of the above, but it's generally trying to find the best partner who's willing to kind of work with us on privacy, who also has really good results. Um, that's kind of what it comes down to. And then do you get paid by TripAdvisor for using theirs uh, and, and featuring them? Each vertical is kind of different. I mean, the local is different from sports or, or, you know, movies. And because of the way the data is, and if it's a monopoly in that situation, you know, all the dynamics can change. But generally, you know, we have a lot of people coming to DuckTechCo. So it's, you know, brands like to work, want to work with us because right. we're, we're showcasing their content. Got it. So all things being equal, if TripAdvisor pays you more than Yelp, that's a revenue stream for you. Uh, I mean, it could be. I mean, our okay. revenue mainly comes from the regular contextual ads. We're uh, on these type of partnerships. We're focused on result quality. So like we're, we're generally focused on making DuckDuckGo a good search engine. And then how would you then look at something like, say, travel? That's where Google has decided to be incredibly sharp elbowed. And they're just like, we're going to monetize the heck out of it. You do a travel search now. Uh, you know, you see on the bottom, like partnership, partnership, partnership. I mean, they are monetizing every click above the fold, it seems. How many organic results does Google actually give you today in a travel search? I don't above the fold, maybe none, maybe one. So what's your philosophy of that? Because there is a thinking, well, if people are willing to pay, then they're going to have uh, a really good product. But then there's also, you know, some people maybe who think differently. How do you think about that, especially specifically in travel? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're like super user centric, right? So search is arguably the biggest market on the internet. Obviously, Google makes over $100 billion on it. And we make a lot less. But because it's so profitable, we can be profitable without like squeezing everything out of the user. So our, our goal is user first. So we don't have a lot of ads. We have some, but not a lot. Um, it seems we, like you go with two, maybe. I, I don't know if I've seen three before, but you have a general philosophy, one, two, or three? Yeah, um, pretty much. Um, and we don't even do three. I don't mm. even think we do three. Um, really just one or two. Um, I mean, to your point, if you go too much more, you take up the whole screen with ads and then it's and then it's all ads now ads can be useful i mean in certain sure. situations where there's a lot of uh, spammy content and brands are paying to be there and um, that can be a good signal um, and that's generally our line is like we try to prioritize the number of ads based on how good they are on the page was the reason to do the browser because google's chrome became so ubiquitous that 
the idea of protecting somebody's privacy, just, you know, Google decided we're, we're not just going to collect your data in this in your search results. And from your visit, we're, we're going to monitor you everywhere you go, even if it's not on our sites. Is, is that what Google's doing with their Chrome browser? They're basically building my profile based on everything I do? They are not just Chrome, you know, it, it's YouTube. And even more important, it's all the trackers, they have embedded in millions of websites. So mm. we, we run kind of the best tracker blocker now by by crawling the web and understanding the universe of trackers out there. And Google is on about 85% of pages that people visit just lurking in the background. So not even going right. to Google, these are just like, you know, retailers, so those web pages, newspapers. Yeah, those web pages, the retailer has decided I want to use Google Analytics for free. They use Google Analytics, Google gets that data, and they get to make decisions based on it. Is that what's happening most often? Yeah, these these different data collection points are coming back into a big profile of you, which then can be used both for the ads that follow you around, but also for the filter bubble on Google search, YouTube, etc. And so the reason to go to the browser is we want to build a more comprehensive privacy solution, right? So private search is just one part of protecting your privacy online. But if you really want to stop like the filter bubble on the web and ads falling you around, you have to hit all three collection points. That's search, website tracking, and encryption, you know, or the lack of encryption going across the internet. And so our app and browser hits all, all three of those. And together in one package, then you can actually stop those privacy harms. So you're not blocking ads on a third-party site, but you are blocking the trackers if the users want to block those trackers. Yeah, we are explicitly a tracker blocker that has the result of blocking a lot of ads because ah. a lot of ads require tracking to work, but not all ads. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there are still ads you will see. And our general philosophy there is, you know, advertising in and of itself isn't bad. Like a, we have private contextual ads on our, our website. It's all the tracking that has come with behavioral advertising in the last right. 10 years. And so on a legal basis, and neither of us, or I don't believe you're a lawyer. <laughs> I don't think either of us are lawyers. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. Not a lawyer, uh, but we can pretend to be one here on the pod. Um, if I, this is my interpretation of it, and the one I've heard seems the most reasonable, if I choose to use, uh, and I claw your website down, I pull the data down, it's my choice how I render that data in my browser. Therefore, if I don't want to be tracked, I can block it, and if that includes blocking ads. There's never been, uh, it seems, any legal issues with this uh, concept. I know that there was some you know, saber rattling, let's say about it, but it only seems to have gotten to 10 to 20% of users are blocking ads on the web. Is is that about right? And do you think there's some tipping point in the, in the sort of legal uh, framework where Google says, you know what, uh, if you use an ad blocker, we're not gonna let you use our website? I think what happened with ad blocking is that it was a quick and dirty solution. And, and to be clear, ad blockers don't always actually stop the tracking, right? They just mm -hmm maybe cosmetically block the ads and don't maybe say block Google Analytics and things like that that are doing most of the tracking. And so our view is to get more of a nuanced, you know, come in with a more nuanced solution that can work more long term, which is what people really care about is is tracking online and invasive advertising that's following them around. Um, and so we're we're hoping to draw that line and not and we, we think that has legal backing. In fact, more and more of these things are being built into laws, which we've been been a part of helping to write, like CCPA and CPRA. And, and CCPA, this is the California Consumer Protection Act. And then there's the European one. 
and so we have a state here in the United States. We have a, a collection of countries in Europe that are saying, hey, we should have comprehensive protection for people's privacy. But the United States doesn't have that. Are we ever going to have a comprehensive uh, nationwide privacy act for users in the United States? I, I believe so. Um, I, it might come with antitrust um, in uh-huh. some kind of hybrid type of, of situation. But building on CCPA, we think that there is a need. You know, we, we, we founded something in our browser or, or founding member of a standard called Global Privacy Control, which is a signal that you can send automatically. It's default on with DuckDuckGo mm-hmm. to automatically opt out of uh, the sale of your ah. personal information in California. So, you know, there's links you gotta, you can click on and see. If you use DuckDuckGo, it'll automatically opt you out. We think like something like that should exist in the federal law. And would be an easy thing for consumers to opt into to then stop that first party tracking that's happening on websites. Yeah. And uh, when you look at Apple seems to have been tracking DuckDuckGo uh, over the years and watching what you're doing, um, they now have uh, essentially a VPN or a relay. I guess it's more of a relay, right? Maybe you could explain what Apple is doing with their relay, which feels a little bit more like um the Tor network than say just a classic VPN, or maybe it's like a putting two VPNs together. So maybe you can talk about Safari's new relay server. And do you have that feature? And what do you think about that as an option in terms of search? Because uh, they're doing that to you and uh, it doesn't seem to have affected your business. Yeah, I mean, Apple's been a partner of ours since they put us in Safari as an option in 2014. And mm. In fact, um, we produce privacy technology that's built into Apple's tracking products. So if you look at the privacy report you get in Safari and you click on more info, it'll say trackers identified by, by DuckDuckGo. Oh, very nice. Um, and that's like our tracker blocking technology we we're talking about identifying trackers. Um, they've been leaning into privacy more and more. Um, you know, they, they introduced an email protection. Uh, product and we also recently introduced an email protection product that's available across all platforms. Um, the the proxy that they have is another kind of network protection product similar to the encryption one that we provide. The idea is to try to protect more of your information that's going across the wire so that network snoopers can't see it. And I'm happy to get more and more technical with it, but that's basically the idea. Yeah. Um, so basically, I put in a search, let's say I'm feeling depressed, or I'm feeling suicidal, let's just use depression, because maybe people have a little bit of privacy current concerns, uh, you know, hey, I'm feeling depressed, I type that search into Google, now Google is going to put that in my profile, they're going to show me ads all across the web, I'm going to start seeing depression related ads on YouTube, etc. Um, which could be pernicious, it could just make you more depressed, because you're being, you know, who knows I what the algorithm totally is. And that's kind of what that? the face some of the it, it totally is. And that's somewhat it's related to Facebook, too. I mean, that's yeah. The Facebook trackers and the uh, and the stuff on the Hill recently about girls seeing, you know, things over and over again related yeah. to maybe searching for diet or something like that. The inspiration, yeah, all this like pernicious stuff sends you down this rabbit hole. It probably shouldn't be going down. So you do that search with, let's say, uh, Safaris. They will then fire up another browser somewhere virtually in their cloud system, ask the search engine for that use their IP address, and then send you the result back. Is that kind of what's happening? Is that a description um, of it? it not, not exactly. And I don't want to misspeak on Apple's product because okay. it seems kind of complicated. But um, 
in general, I think they're trying to help protect your IP address from mm-hmm. when, when you go to websites. Um, that's one method of, of tracking. Unfortunately, to be like fully protected, you really need um, tracker blocker mm-hmm. as well. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of ways to get fingerprinted when you load up. Yeah, explain a this. This is uh, a critically important concept. My understanding is your screen resolution, your monitor setup, your memory, exactly. a lot of other pieces uh, to do with your browser and your desktop uh, or your phone can be sent to build a profile of you. Explain how they build these modern day profiles if they don't have your IP address. Yeah, it, it's a it's a bit counterintuitive, um, but it's true. Uh, your computer is pretty unique. Is really what it is. Um, like the fonts you have installed and the combination of what version you're using and kind of exactly what model it is and what the screen size is. When you add up all those little pieces and say you say you put it together in one long number, your number is often unique to you, and so you can use that as as a fingerprint, uh, which means that they could turn it into an ID, kind of like an IP address, and follow you around with that. Mm. Or even easier, you know, you can just drop, make up a unique number and drop it as a cookie. Mm. Um, but like, what happens is, is as long as these scripts can load these trackers, like say like Google Analytics, they're going to find a way to fingerprint you. And mm. so the key is actually blocking them from loading on the websites you visit. You need that extreme level of, of blocking. And that's what a good like tracker blocker like ours, that component will do versus just like when you hear all this talk about we're just restricting cookies or, you know, we're just putting restrictions on these trackers. That's not going to go far enough to actually stop the harm. Like they'll still be able to track you. Okay. So Apple has been doing tons of these privacy things. You've been doing a ton of privacy things, Brave Browser, a lot of people, VPNs, NordVPN, TunnelBear, everybody's really getting in on this, trying to really protect people's privacy. And I think your timing was great. You were too early at the beginning. And now it seems like consumers are catching up to this concept uh, because of data leaks, because of regulations, uh, and just all kinds of bad actors and what they're seeing in the world. People seem to care about that. What what percentage of people would you say are um, concerned enough about privacy to take uh, initiative, get a VPN, use one of these browsers versus people who maybe are you know more passive about it? Where, where are we at today in 2021? Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. That's exactly how we um, look at our market. We call it the care and act on privacy group. So Perfect. Yeah. you don't just say you care, but you actually took some action. Right. Um, that is actually just cross 50% of the US of people wow. who are attempting to do something, like you said, some action. Right. Um, so it's a lot. I think the the gap there is in the quality of the software. And so it's our job to make that simple and seamless. And that Mm. is our real goal is to be that easy button. So when people are looking, they can just download our product on any platform and get that basic protection. So here's a candid question. Apple, DuckDuckGo, you're perfectly in line. You're simpatico. You share the same vision. Yet, Apple gives gets $15 billion a year from Google to make them the default search engine. It's a nice chunk of change. It's a pretty penny. Um, you purposely monetize at a lower level than Google. Google makes about 30 cents a sh- search, I think. I'm guessing you make 10% of that. Am I, am I in the ballpark here that you monetize? We definitely make a lot less. Let's just go with that. 
80% less, something like that, because you just are not flooding the top with 20 links there and you're flooding it with two, one or two, you're putting one or two, they're putting 20. So I, I'm just, I'm going to say 10%, maybe you make three cents per search on average to their 30 cents. Pick a number out there. Apple, if they made you the default, it means they would go from $15 billion a year and you might generate uh, $1.5 billion if you had all those Apple consumers, or let's say you do really good, you, you double that. They don't need that incremental $10 billion, I don't think. Why don't they uh, just make you the default search engine? Uh, and there's been rumors and advocacy around them buying DuckDuckGo. What, what are your thoughts on a potential deeper collaboration with Apple? I mean, we've been pushing for a third option, uh, you know, both to partners, but also just in a regulatory manner, which is, you know, that deal is a deal of a default deal that Google's kind of locked up not just on Apple, but basically all defaults on yes. most phones and basically all of Android through all of the handset uh, deals. And so what we'd actually like is instead of that, is for there to be what we call a preference menu. When you install the device or open up even Chrome for the first time, um, you're presented with an option to, to pick the search engine. So you know most people are using Google now, um, never made a choice. They just got Google. And that's what they've gotten for the last, you know, 20 years. Um, but we think that if people really understood that there was another option and would be easily able to check it out, like our, our percentage would go up overnight. And so from Apple's perspective or anyone's, it's more, we think of more from the consumer perspective of giving users a choice that want it, you know, anyone who really wants privacy, make it, it easy. This is a uh, brilliant, uh, framing of the issue because. What you're saying is let consumers choose. And what Google has done is because they are willing to uh, compromise people's privacy at the highest level, they then have the budget to pay off partners at the highest level. Because you do the right thing, you make three cents a search. I'm saying that I'm making it up to my estimate. They make 30 cents. Therefore, you could never offer an Android headset maker, Apple, whoever, the same deal that Google could. So we've created an incentive structure here, which means the more you invade people's privacy, the more you build a profile of them that they clearly don't want. Even somebody like Apple, who has made it their mission the last two or three years to protect people's privacy, even they can't say no to the massive buckets and wheelbarrows and just dumb trucks, dumb trucks going from Mountain View to Cupertino. Garbage trucks of $100 bills being dumped in front of the Apple campus. Isn't that what's happening here? I think that speaks to why, you know, the market is broken there. It's a, it's really a monopoly issue and it needs an antitrust remedy mm. of, you know, getting rid of these search defaults and then letting consumers choose. That, yeah. that would be our goal. Even Firefox um, was making, I believe, I, I don't know if you know what the number was at the peak because they did. So on uh, the, the order of 400 million per year from per Google. year. Yeah, this this was an incredible thing for people who don't know the history of this net Netscape uh, had an open source project Mozilla Mozilla then spun out of AOL AOL made this incredible browser it got huge market share. Basically, Google uh, knifed him in the middle of the night and did a secret Chrome project. But Google bought all that search traffic and they were making 400 million a year uh, from it, uh, which then gives them a really uh, a hard um, decision to make. They're a nonprofit. They have no other way to make money. So what it, 
Mozilla has lost massive market share. Uh, they still make hundreds of millions of dollars, I guess, from these deals, but they can't care about privacy, can they? If they're taking that kind of money. It, it's hard the, the, the way these deals have kind of captured the market to your, to your point. And the incentive structure is aligned for Google just to keep being the default everywhere. And so that really needs to be broken up. Um, you know, we do think there's progress here. So, you know, there are bills moving in the House and Senate right now. So literally like last week, the American Antivoice Innovation and Choice Online Act, that's a mouthful, was introduced. Um, and part of it makes Google self-preferencing illegal. Um, it has wide bipartisan support in the Senate. Um, and if that were to pass, this default relationship, uh, at least on Android and, and Chrome, would go away. Um, it's not everywhere, but that would be a big chunk right there. I mean, half of the U.S. uses Android yeah. as their phone. And then Google could say, well, we're just not going to provide Google to handset manufacturers anymore. That would be their response, right? You just don't get Google. We're going we're gonna to charge you for Android. You can get it I for mean, free if is... we're the search engine and we get our apps. If you don't, we want $25 a handset. Because that's this what we make for Europe searchers. In, in Europe, right? And so over the last four or yeah. five years... Yeah, so there's a there's a preference venue in Europe that we've been working on, and, and that debate has been playing out. I mean, the reality is is that you know there are monopoly profits here from your point about pri from privacy violations, and so people have to make less money, a little bit less money, um, and exploit people less. But that said, or make it a different way. I mean, if if Google said, listen, if you want free Android, if you want free, uh, then you just give us. Uh, your search traffic as a default, you can change it, but we get the default. And uh, if you want the Android license, it's going to be, you know, uh, 20 bucks a year. So you sell a handset for a 1000 bucks, 40 bucks goes to us or whatever, every year, the consumer or you have to pay us 20 bucks. So if you want to put it into the cost of your phone, and exactly. that would be just like buying any other software, Microsoft Office, whatever. Yeah, that's how Windows worked for, for, yeah. for decades. I Still mean, does. Um, yeah. And then additionally, there could be rev share um, deals that you get mm. mandated by the regulation as well. So if you have the preference menu, you know, many people will select Google and that's fine. And that could be rev share back to the, back to the handset makers. How many people work at the company now? And I know you raised a hundred million dollar round at some point. Uh, you see all these SPACs going on, you know, you, you've obviously committed to making this a long-term independent strong company. You see all these people going public seems to me like you're positioned perfectly to do a SPAC, to become a public company, to do a direct listing. Uh, what are you thinking when you're seeing all these companies go public around you? Yeah, I mean, we, we have, we've been profitable since 2014. So we've had no real pressure to do anything. Um, we're not, we don't need to raise the money, say, at the public market. But to your point, we could go public via SPAC or direct listing. We're about 100, to answer your other question, we're about 150 people-ish. Um, and you know, we are definitely big enough, both company size and revenue size to be a public company. So it's just more a matter of whether we kind of the pros and cons to doing that, Got and it. whether we really want to be public or stay private. Are you too conservative as a founder, uh, in terms of building this, uh, being profitable in a time when there's free money everywhere, you know, not going public, keeping the company at 150? Do you need to be more bold, given the opportunity that's going on here? I definitely think initially, like when we first talked, I was being too conservative. Um, over the past few years, I've tried to change that. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we have grown, 
very rapidly since then, both company size, product vision, um, what we're trying to execute on. We've been um, very rapidly trying to raise our brand awareness and be the household name for privacy. So we're spending tens of millions in, you know, just regular like billboard radio advertising this year. To do yeah, that. I did notice that. What about um, VPN? Do you provide VPN? So we we instead for uh, network protection decided to make a better uh, encryption technology. If you're familiar with uh, HTTPS Everywhere, an yeah. extension that EFF made a long time ago, we went in that direction and basically made that 10 times better and bigger by crawling the web. And the reason we did that is because you still get a you, you get kind of the 80-20 of the network protection that you would get from VPN, but it doesn't slow you down. It doesn't break things. Got it. But people will pay for a VPN. There's tons of VPN providers out there. You're a big company. You can buy one of the existing VPN companies out there, or you could build your own. You're very good at building stuff. It seems to me that adding the VPN layer would just make this, you know, some people would, I, I sacrifice a little bit of speed for my VPN when I'm on the road. Uh, You're right. I mean, yeah. I think we're, I think we were, we're headed there. I mean, so this year we launched um, a bit of email protection. We're launching app tracking protection in a few mm. weeks. And we're working on a desktop version of our app. Um, I think VPN could be next. I mean, I think higher level though, like we've gravitated towards free products Mm. because we think it gets in the hands of of more people. And yeah, but you could do a free VPN. That would be, I mean, it would cost a little bit. You could keep it only to a certain number of users in the beta or whatever. But I, I, I think the person who has the business model like you do and then puts a VPN for free on top of it could do tremendous business. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. And, And that may be where we're headed. Um, it's like when you dig into VPN, a lot of it is used to watch video in oh. in um, kind of non DRM ways, and so we would want to do it just for privacy reasons at that point because the video is very expensive um, if you offer it for free. That's but right. yeah, I think you're right from a privacy perspective. If you're just bra- using it to browse the web, I think we could offer that uh, additional. Uh, as we get close to wrapping here, just thinking about Facebook uh, and what we've seen from these leaked papers. Uh, and thinking about algorithms, algorithms uh, have made certain things delightful. The Netflix algorithm telling us what movie to watch, you know, Spotify surfacing the next singer songwriter that I'm going to fall in love with. Amazon telling me products like these. These are incredibly awesome algorithms that make life delightful and awesome and efficient. How do you view Facebook's algorithm? Because there seems to be this. Uh, I don't want to say double standard, but there seems to be uh, people believe that their algorithm isn't providing delight for consumers. It's providing, you know, the way they've implemented it, providing, you know, uh, strife, anger, people being irate. And then people look at YouTube's algorithm and they also kind of feel maybe that's a little less harmful than Facebook's uh, and Instagram's, but still harmful because you watch one you know, ivermectin, and then you go to a hoax vaccine video. And, you know, you can just basically go down that rabbit hole, whether it's the alt right, whether it's racism, whether it's extremism. Uh, So talk to me about the algorithms from those two companies, those two products, those three products, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and why they're so different than the ones from that we all know and love from a Spotify, from a Netflix. Yeah, I I think there's two two large kind of fundamental differences one is they're based on a surveillance uh advertising business model you know the data collection um is used 
to to power these ads that have both you know commercial kind of exploitation but also shown to be discrimination like in housing and job ads and just creepy following you around um and so that's one thing it's like it's tied to this business model where the other ones aren't the second one is is maybe uh, a little harder to see but i think potentially more important is like you know what those algorithms do is put you in a filter bubble right so um, you're not seeing the same results as everyone else. It, even, it happens on Google search too, whereas like different people may see, you know, links and news articles more attuned to their political leanings. And that creates polarization over Super time. Super helpful. <laughs> not helpful, Google. <laughs> not yeah, helpful. Exactly. And so, you know, it's the context, right? So like if you're on a Google search, you're, you're expecting to get more unbiased information. If you search for a YouTube video, uh, you know, you're expecting to get kind of the most popular videos there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the difference of if you search, um, whereas then if you're, you know, you're searching on um, Netflix or Amazon, it's very much more clear that that is, you know, a, that is, it's a completely different non-informational context, yes. um, more of an entertainment or shopping context, and also more clear that it's related to your history. Yeah, and our, our all of our collective history. Listen, if you, uh, I would say the the algorithm at Amazon has caused me tremendous problems in my personal life because I just have many <laughs> too many boxes coming here. Because when they say buy all three, man, every, I, I wondered why they had buy all three there, and now I'm just frequently like, ah, buy all three, f- it, let's go. <laughs> I'll get those other two things to to go with it. Uh, listen, continued success on the company. Uh, it's great that you're out there fighting this good fight. Uh, you're hiring. Um, I'm curious, AI seems to be what Google believes their big advantage is. You're a, a much smaller company. They've got more people at, at DeepMind than they've got 10 times as many people at DeepMind than you have at your entire company. Can you compete against that? And how big is AI playing into search? Or is that overblown? Um, I don't think it's it's overblown in the sense that I think it is very important. But the way that we compete, as we were talking at the beginning, is by working with you know, other companies who are investing kind of vertically uh-huh. in those players. So if you think of the wider DuckDuckGo team slash universe, it kind of includes, say, all a trip advisor, you know, if you say... Yeah, you like, have their AI people. Right, exactly. And so we have our own, obviously not close to as many as Google, but but you really, it's like the sum of all of our partners. Um, but just to circle back on that, yeah, DuckDuckGo has, you know, become way more than search now. So if you if you want to... Just protect your privacy generally. That's what we're trying to do. Download the app, download uh, the browser, uh, just type DuckDuckGo into your app store. Uh, and that's, I'm guessing, mobile 60% of your consumption these days, something like that, 70. Yeah, I think it's about 60, 40, similar to Google. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. So you're basically an app company now. <laughs> you have to just nail the app. We are, we are actually the number two downloaded browser uh, on, wow. on mobile. So. And number number one on Android because Chrome is already there. Um, yeah, and so ha- uh, so Chrome is number one on iOS. Then yeah, you, we've uh, we've had a since we redid our apps and extensions, and the mobile app became a full browser with all the privacy components. It's been downloaded a hundred million times. Wow, that's a game changer for the company. Yes, um, and absolutely. you believe in free, so the idea that people would pay you for a premium service just not in your wheelhouse, really. I mean, I it's it's more that like it, it, as we were talking about, if the service has real marginal costs, so we really need to charge for it, that's fine. But we would opt to make it free if we could. 
yeah. it's because it's not just the U.S. Right, we're talking about the whole world, and and the ability for certain countries to pay is much less. Do you have a lot of Chinese users using the service? I know they care deeply about privacy. Uh, and do you index the Chinese web? So it, interestingly, it does work in China as a you can search, but we've been banned in China, I think, since 2013. Right. If we you're using have, a VPN, assume. Yeah, we have it. still have Chinese usage yeah. via VPNs. But because of that, like wholesale ban, you know, there's kind of a max you can kind of get get to from China. Yeah, millions of users or something. But how do yeah, are they are they? Uh, but do you index the the Chinese web as well? And how do you think about authoritarian countries and participating? You know, because a lot of people seem to be working around them, knowing that those countries are kind of soft allowing VPNs, or you know, maybe they're not putting people in gulags all the time for using a VPN just for selling them. Yeah, I mean, our 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 approach has not to engage with any kind of authoritarian government in any way. So yeah. you know, for that. You know, we're not focused on. They're not that indexing market. the Chinese uh, internet. You know, we use uh, it'll work, but I think in that case, we're relying on uh, kind of Microsoft's index, whatever yeah. they're doing there. Um, but we're we're not personally putting any focus on China. All right, uh, I know you're hiring. So, uh, is there a careers page, or what are you hiring for? What's the most acute need at DuckDuckGo? If you're to your point about this? being um, uh, <laughs> being. Not aggressive enough. We are hiring in every area. So oh, if you right. if you're kind of at all interested in, in this, you should uh, you should come apply, reach out. Yeah, we have a careers page, uh, but basically engineering, design, product, business, anything. Yeah, on behalf of your investors, please don't make a profit. Just keep get that extra ten percent <laughs> of growth. Burn some money, Gabe. Burn some money, Gabriel. <laughs> all right, listen. Continued success, everybody out there. If you don't know about DuckDuckGo. This is your decade refresher, but uh, let, you know what? I, I think you speak on so many great topics. Can we book you for a year from now and maybe we just cut the 10 years down to every year you come on the phone? <laughs> Would that be okay? Sound, sounds good. All right. be uh, nice to come back sooner. All right. Uh, continued success. Thank you for doing the work. Sincerely, uh, I think it's great. And everybody go check out their uh, career page and uh, go work on good stuff. If you're working at Google or Facebook right now and selling your soul, you know, Maybe you can do your penance and maybe make DuckDuckGo even more successful. That would be a nice thing for you to do. And just think what your family is going to think about you when you show up for Christmas or the holidays, Thanksgiving, you show up for July 4th, you're a Facebook employee, and now you work for DuckDuckGo. It's going to be a nice story arc, isn't it? Thank you, Jason. All right. We'll <laughs> see you all next time in this week at Starbucks. Bye-bye. <laughs>